Welcome to the Bonafide Moto Show. Um, it seems as if I had a, uh, I had a little technical glitch. Um, my connection got out, so I'm back. So uh, I'll wait a few minutes for everyone to kind of join back in. Sorry about that. Looks like my Wi-Fi has been quite crap lately, so I had to log into 4G. Um, welcome to episode 25 of the Bonafide Moto Show. We've been going strong um, now for, I think it's nine weeks that we've had the show. Um, really, really cool. Um, the fact that we've had 25 people from around the world on the show um, has been quite amazing. I've really enjoyed it, and we've had such a, a wide range of people. And overall, it's been great to share some of those stories and experiences with you. Um, we, um, sorry, I'm just messaging Wooly now. Um, so we've had some, um, um, we've had a couple partners who have helped make the show possible. And, um, uh, one of those partners is Motul. Um, that's actually how we connected with, uh, Wooly. He is one of Motul's ambassadors and we kind of had a look on their website to find out who who we thought would be quite great, um, and um, and and we connected with the rep in the USA, and then I had a phone call with Wooly, and he's a great guy. And what was so cool about the call was that um, it was nice to um, have. Um, speak American with someone. It's not often that I get to speak to Americans anymore. So it was quite great. Um, plus, he's in California. And um, I truly miss California. And um, so tonight, so we've on most of the shows, we've been doing uh, sort of a motel part or a motel. Uh, so not a part, but an MC care product. And um, one of my favorites, because it's like a, an all-around helper, is the Motul Easy Lube. So if you, if you remembered uh, in the beginning of the show, my chair used to always squeak, Hey, Wooly, I'm going to add you to the call now. I'm glad you're on. Um, uh, so if you remember in the beginning of the show, when we first started the Bonafide Moto Show, this office chair used to squeak like hell. Um, and I could use the Motul Easy Lube on it, no problem. And I've actually used it on my mountain bike, and it can also obviously be used on your motorcycle and other car parts. So um, that product and the other uh, MC Care range of products will be available on our website next week. I've been building it the past week or so. It's taken me longer than I thought, um, but as of next week, You'll be able to go on. The website's looking really great. Uh, quite proud of it. So um, without further ado, uh, Willie, I'm going to add you to the call now so you'll get a friend request. Um, I, I was actually just watching some of Willie's dash cam footage from uh, Pike's Peak. And uh, I did it watching dinner and I got quite nauseous. So uh, if you haven't seen any of it, go to YouTube. Check it out. Um, Wooly. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good, good to see you. Wooly, you you had me a bit nervous there. <laughs> well, yeah, you know all this technology. It's like 
I don't know. I had I had some help here. Buster helped me from uh, Saddleman's to get hooked up. But <laughs> good. That's why, because because I, I messaged Willie like a couple times yesterday. I was like, hey, here's some of the tips and tricks. I didn't hear back from him. So then I, I messaged again this this afternoon or a little bit ago. I called him. Nothing. Nothing. I was like, oh crap. Here we go. Yeah. But, um, here we are. So I'm glad the guys could help. So <laughs> thanks to those guys for helping you out. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Good to see you. Oh, good to see you too, man. So um, were you, have you been to South Africa before? I've never been to South Africa. No, I've been uh, almost everywhere else, but uh, okay. it's on my bucket list for sure. Yeah, you, you must. And especially, um, you know, with like the Rand dollar, like our currency here, um uh the dollar goes a long way here in south africa oh it does um, i didn't know that yeah very so at the moment it's like 16 or 17 to 1. so um like i still get money from the u.s military every month here so it does go a bit further for me, which is great I didn't, know, I didn't know that okay yeah so I you're was... in for a treat when you come you can stay at nicer hotels pay cheaper coffee but great coffee yeah, you'll dig it. You'll dig okay, it. Great. Good to know. Uh, and of course we, um, and of course we have some amazing roads for riding um, all throughout South Africa. So it's a it's a great place to come and visit. All right, I'll we'll do it. Uh, so um, what was nice was I, I was actually kind of brushing up on some of my um, clips that I'd seen you in. I rewatched. Um, um, uh, Greasy Hands Preacher a little bit today. It's been like years since I've watched it. Um, so it was good to see you there. Um, but I wanted to find out like how, what, what got you started into motorcycles as a kid? What you know, I don't know, man. I, uh, my dad was, uh, he was into everything fast. He raced uh, gliders and speedboats and motorcycles and so I think it's just kind of in the genes. And when I was a little kid, my mom called me Michael, Michael Motorcycle. So I guess when I saw a motorcycle, I just, you know, went crazy. And then we, uh, we left Hawaii when I was young, and we ended up in Tiburon, California. And okay. Mert, La Mert Lawa lived right down the street from us. So, oh, wow. as a, you know, as a third grader, I would, you know, walk by his garage and look in, you know, with awe. He had a full-blown machine shop in his garage. Wow. And he actually... Uh, built all his own race bikes. Those were, Jeez. you know, his Harley that he won the national championship off way back then was a full-blown framer. And, you know, it was right. like a two-race frame before they kind of, they would be replaced. So it was pretty next level for the, the era. And, and uh, you know, and basically back then, there was no internet. There were no parts companies. If you wanted to, uh, you know, improve your bike, you had to figure out, what was wrong with it and, and come up with an idea how to make something that would make it better. And if you yeah. look at some of the, you know, the super bikes, you know, the factory super bikes back then when, when they first started, they were pretty much production bikes with like standard foot pegs and maybe they had magnesium sliders or, you know, they looked super trick in the day, but now they yeah. just look like a standard, you know, off the showroom floor <laughs> motorcycle for the most part. Yeah. So, you know, so anyway, that that was kind of it. And then I, I uh, was pretty dyslexic in, in regards to uh, spelling and my brain turned letters around. But, you know, but I could do anything with my hands that I wanted to. So I just 
gravitated towards, you know, motorcycles and fabrication. And, and, and I kind of, at some point decided, Oh, I really, you know, I, I need to know how to, you know, uh, mold something and make a part. So I went to work for a submarine company and ended up their production manager, but I learned all about vacuum bagging and mold making and, you know, composites and no mix honeycomb and how to use different materials for, so then I just applied that into motorcycles and, you know, and it goes on and on. And probably the last 15 years I've been studying aluminum uh, work with one of the best guys in the world, probably, I think. Yeah. And I usually go once a year and spend, you know, a week out there. During the year, I'll come up with like a really difficult thing, you know, like a, I want to do this crazy thing with the aluminum that I can't do. And I'll go out there in the last couple of years. It's sort of been like, he'll go, yeah, I don't know how to do that either. <laughs> and we'll, <laughs> but we'll figure it out. And he's, yeah. uh, and so much of it is just working with paper, you know, and just okay. really working on the pattern. And it's, it's, uh, you can spend a whole day working on a pattern for like the side of a gas tank or the top of a gas tank. But right. then when you apply it to the metal, it just, it just works, you know? So, uh, it's it's a deep well, you know, really. And it sounds like you uh, you you kind of uh, enable that phrase of like you never stop learning, because it sounds like you've been learning new products. You're learning aluminum now. No, yeah, it, you know, in fact, the last time I went with him, he showed me a new trick that he just figured out that saves a lot of time, and it's it's uh, yeah. I I couldn't even really explain it to you it's kind of technical but it's in, it has to do with the patterns and, and uh, okay. it's splitting lines from one side to the other you know because the sides when you build the side of a gas tank you know you'll pretty much copy one side to the other and opposite right then when you put them together you'll trace the top pattern for and usually those two sides are a little different so what, what we're doing now is folding it in half and cutting it and then tracing those two pieces out together and then there's a line two different lines that are different and then you split that line and now you're like the parts fit much better so it's uh yeah. it's just little things you know but uh well, yeah you really you never stop learning and there's so much information on youtube now and uh and i always encourage guys to you know just get some stuff and try to make it you know and use your hands yeah. See what you can figure out online and, and uh, make a part. It may not be great the first time, but it might be great. For sure. Time, you know. Yeah, and I think, and that's kind of that, um, that saying is like uh, about perfection. Like, you don't have to make it perfect. Just make it. It may fall apart, but at least uh, you can make a mistake and, and kind of learn from it. And, and you keep, keep after it. Yeah. There's a lot of noise here right now. Sorry. That's bothering you guys, but luckily, uh, it'll just make things interesting on the podcast. But uh, luckily, I can I can hear you quite fine. Okay, um, good. Which is good. Um, and uh, we actually got our first question from someone here, um, and they said, um, "Willie, do you still work on movies as a gaffer?" No, not anymore. I retired uh, last year, and okay. uh, I probably did ten years working seven days a week. You have to do you know, 400 hours a year to, to stay yeah. qualified. And, and uh, so, yeah, I finally, I finally ended all that, which is nice. Okay. I mean, I enjoyed and, doing uh, it, but it was tough. Yeah. And they, they, they actually asked you, what was one of the favorite movies that you worked on? 
Master Commander. Yeah, it was Russell Master Crowe. Commander. Yeah, oh, we cool. won an Academy Award for camera and lighting in that movie. Uh, Russell oh, Boyd. Amazing. Yeah, Russell Boyd was the cinematographer. And it was uh, it was a crazy movie. We shot it down in Mexico uh, in the same tank that they built uh, for the Titanic. They That's where okay. they rolled the model. And, and oh, cool. uh, they built a full-blown uh, gaff rigger in the tank that was on gimbals, full size. And then we had a, a real boat, and then we had a, a gun deck somewhere else, and we had a, a birthing deck, and we had – it was crazy. It was just uh, – in the way they did stuff there in Mexico, if you wanted smoke, there'd be no problem. 55-gallon drum with used oil, chop up some tires, throw it in there. It was like, <laughs> it was nuts. Cool. It, was, it was really nuts. So. Um, um, and, um, yeah, I actually saw some of the, it's, it's funny you said it, because I actually saw some of the behind-the-scenes of that years, like last year, a while ago. Oh, and yeah. I can remember the, the tunnel or something turning. Um, I didn't watch a whole lot of it, but I can recall that visual. So that's, um, yeah. that was a random one for you to it, pick. It was fun. I, I worked on a couple of the Spider-Man movies too, Spider-Man 2 and 3. Did the visual okay. effects on those, and we that was pretty crazy. We did uh, the scene where the awk in Spider-Man 2 overloaded and, and tore that whole pier apart and stuck it in the water, and that was all in camera. That was a model. It was a wow. huge model, and uh, that was that was pretty challenging that job. So. And how did how did you get into that? You know, uh, when I kind of stopped uh, racing motorcycles, and and uh, you know, I I just looked around, and thought, where can I go, and you know, start my career now. And I was I think thirty four really uh, at that point, and my brother was in L.A. working in. Uh, as an art director and he said come on down here you're you know your skills are going to fit right in so i came down i got into special effects uh and and did miniatures like giant miniatures for godzilla the roland emmerich godzilla okay. and uh i built the brooklyn bridge and uh i ran the crew that built the brooklyn bridge and we built wow. a ship at the beginning of the movie that got crushed and sank and built a few of the big models for that and then uh uh, I was married to a DP at the time, Anna Forster, and uh, she convinced me to get into lighting, uh, which was, uh, you know, maybe not the best choice for my skill set, um, but it carried me out through, you know, 20 some years of work, and I Jeez. got vested in the union, so I have insurance for the rest of my life, and oh, that's you know, good. all that kind of stuff, you know, unless the yeah. unions get torn apart, but, you know. <laughs> So, but it was, you know, it was good. And then uh, at some point, the, the Deus guys uh, got a hold of me and, and uh, we started working together. And, and, and uh, now I'm at Saddleman's, which is really a so, and, um, and so, so tell me about, uh, I actually saw in an interview, um, you were on set uh, with Orlando Bloom and he had a oh. bike that pulled up. So tell me, tell us a little bit about that story. And because and, that was sort of your introduction then into Deus and building custom bikes, right? Yeah, it was my introduction to building custom bikes, really. I was building a bike uh, for Pikes Peak in 2008, and uh, there was a recession, and it was right at the time when Barack Obama was running for president, and uh, I was asked to, to light these PSAs 
public service announcements for uh, a guy that was putting them on, and, and it was basically the who's who of Hollywood. Uh, Steven Spielberg, Tom Cruise, everybody. You know, every everyone you could ever imagine, and we were shooting in Leo DiCaprio's uh, screening room. And Orlando Bloom showed up on a hypermotard, a brand new bike that he had just crashed. I could see he just crashed it. <laughs> I knew all the problems with yeah. that bike. There were some significant, you know, issues that I had with it that I was able to fix. Uh, and so I, you know, I started talking to him, and he's just like the nicest guy. He's totally down to earth, uh, total motorcycle, you know, enthusiast. And I said, hey, you know, if you want, you stop by my my garage, and I'll I'll do some you know, adjustments to the bike that'll make it significantly better. And, you know, I was surprised. I had a little garage uh, at the time and he showed up and uh, hung out. We adjusted the bike a bit and it was better for him. And next thing I knew, I built him a $40,000 hypermotard. <laughs> we just built him a full-blown race bike. And, wow. uh, and that led to a few more bikes with him. And then he introduced me to the Deus guys because they were... Uh, wanting to give him a bike, but they couldn't ship it over here. And uh, so, yeah, one thing led to another. I ended up building five bikes for Billy Joel, uh, a bike for Bruce Springsteen, uh, Ryan Reynolds, three bikes for him, I think. And uh, yeah. And when, um, like when, like with Bruce Springsteen, like when he came to you, what was it that the um, that he wanted out of his bike? Did you have to you kind know, of like sit down with him and kind of figure out no, about I, him? Like, I wish, I wish that had happened. Uh, actually, Billy, a song. Joel, Billy Joel uh, arranged it for me. Uh, okay. Billy's a, a lot more. Uh, I don't know. Uh, they're good friends, Billy and Bruce. Yeah. And I guess Bruce had seen one of the bikes I built for Billy, and he told him he wanted one, and and uh, and Billy arranged it all, and uh, so. That went through Billy and, and uh, Billy's bike handler, Alex. So I never actually got to meet Bruce, but he just did a Washington Post interview, okay. uh, which was a big a big spot. And the cover shot was him sitting on the bike I built for him. So I oh, thought cool. That, I thought uh, that was and, and what bike was it? What, what did you build? It was uh, uh, basically the motor was a W650. I built him, you know, like a, a hardtail, you know, bobber, basically. Okay with the w650 motor so and it was all hand built but yeah. real reliable you know just a not a big horsepower thing but more of a look you know yeah. looks like a obviously like a triumph an old triumph and uh yeah we, that's what we, we've got a few people that ride uh, w650s and when i first started to see them around they're like oh nice triumph and then they're like wait a right. minute <laughs> um that's wrong that's wrong yeah uh, They're really durable, you know, and they're, they were really over-engineered for durability and reliability. So, and a lot of people like them. Uh, they remade them here now into 800s, I guess. Uh, okay. I haven't done one in a long time. I did way too many of those motors. But uh, that's what everybody wanted for, for the longest time. So. And, um, and we've got another question here. Out of, out of all the bikes that you've um, done custom builds and, and built, What was uh, what was your favorite? Um, well, personally, for customers, two two parts to that. Uh, my race bikes are all custom built, so my race yes. bike. Yeah, so two part question. Yeah, 
Good yeah, one. my last bike, that's my favorite bike I ever built. That bike, I should have never sold it. it. It was something special. It was uh, it was one of Carlos Checa's uh, World Championship frames. Ducati, yeah. so a Parabon frame. Uh, and uh, and then I deconstructed the frame a bit, just took everything off it that didn't need to be there. And it weighed uh, 340 pounds wet and made that's 200 horsepower to the rear wheel. And it was just a beast. Wow. And it, it just went anywhere. You, you know, you, on tracks where, you know, at the end of a long, sweepy turn, racetracks where usually the tires are given out and the bike's starting to drift wide. This thing would just, it would just go anywhere you wanted oh. to go. It would clip the apex. It'd go into the dirt on the inside of the apex. It just was just wonderful. And uh, so that was my favorite race bike. I think my favorite uh, bike build was the bike I built for Ryan Reynolds, the American. And uh, that I, I started in 2008 during the recession. And, and uh, it was just like, I thought, why don't we do something, you know, like full-blown Americana because I've never done an American bike before. And uh, okay. and I thought, we'll just get parts from little American shops, A&A Racing, you know, they made me hubs and I got spokes from Buchanan's and rims from, they made special rims for me. And it was just all these little shops that supplied little parts. And then I styled the bike around, uh, you know, the old KR the Harley Davidson KR race bike back in the okay. early days. And it was a Chrome Molly dirt track mile frame that we used, uh, C&J mile, but it was, so it was a mile bike basically that we converted wow. over. And the, the mile bikes, it's funny, the numbers, the geometry from those bikes are almost dead nuts on to the Ducati 916. So okay. it's really good geometry for, you know, the road, uh, surprisingly enough. And, Jeez. uh, so that bike ended up, you know, really nice, and, and uh, I just felt like it, it had a little bit of a soul to it. Yeah. You know? so, and well, did you, fun. and did you spend like quite a lot of time building that and sort of putting a lot of soul into it as well? Yeah, there were a lot of little details that you know, mm-hmm. it just, it just took a lot of time to make, and, and it was all stuff that you could do at home with your hands. Okay. You know. Yes. So I didn't have, I was working out of Speakeasy, my shop Speakeasy Cycles then, and it was a little, maybe an 800 square foot uh, brick box behind the oldest firehouse in, in LA. And, uh, and so I just had to, you know, what you, what you can do with your hands, you know? And so yeah. I just thought of what the way they did it in the 40s and leather strap with a little T brace for, you know, uh, with a nut for the battery strap, you know, and, Things like that, you know, oh, that you cool. rip it together and, you know, so in the end it was, you know, a hand-built bike, really a, a hand, all hand-built bike. And, and, uh, and does he, does he still have that bike? No, he ended up selling it. He, he had a daughter and um, at the time his daughter was born, I think he, yeah. he kind of got rid of all of his motorcycles. Okay. And I don't know what he's doing now. I haven't talked to him in, in a okay. few years, but yeah. I'm not sure if it was Blake that... <laughs> that wanted them to go or whether it was him. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, and you, you mentioned Pikes Peak. Um, I saw like I did a YouTube search earlier and I found two videos of you there. How many times did you do Pikes Peak? How many times did you race? Twice. 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 Yeah. And both times I built the bike myself and I, you know, was crew and rider. And honestly, it was just a lot. 
to deal with. I mean, I the, the second time I never had a decent setup until race day, and uh, we didn't get any practice really. Uh, the first run on the mountain this year, last year was qualifying, and the front oh, end talking. Wow. I was folding the front end anytime I pushed it on it. I mean, like full blown, just tucking on me and so oh, no. the bike setup that i had that like the ducati numbers what works on a racetrack where there's traction didn't work there and my gearing was way off and it just it was a battle and uh all the way to the end and then i made a pretty good run up to uh the devil's playground which is uh the two lower sections okay. and then and then i i made probably four big mistakes I almost went off at carl's corner i couldn't see it it's so wavy now and the road is so distorted i just couldn't see the turn coming and um mm. i didn't have enough uh i don't have enough laps there enough no. runs down to know every inch of it i knew really really pretty well up to the devil's playground and then uh, there on i really needed some more seat time yeah i mean i watched um i watched the videos earlier i think the first year the clip was like 12 minutes long and then this one, it looks like you shaved some time off. It was just over 11. But um, even, like, I kind of would fast forward every once in a while. But some of those turns, uh, like, I mean, granted, I, I don't know if it was a GoPro or whatever it was, but it does look like they sneak up on you. And if you don't have a lot of time on that track, that's not yeah. a place to, to mess around on. Not at all. The Especially whole, once you get up there in elevation. No way. Yeah, the whole top section's all blind. You can't, you can't see the entry to anything. And uh, our practice there this year was one one day of practice we got three runs it was uh blowing 60 miles an hour 24 degrees it was more oh. fun we weren't able to change tires you know it was it was it was incredible i mean you know you just you just do it but uh so on the run i just i made you know i came into one turn that really was a fifth gear turn in second gear and I just misjudged it. And then Carl's Corner, I almost went off. And uh, I mean, yeah, it was, but you know, I, I wasn't getting paid to race. So, you know. Yeah, you might as well have fun. Yeah, no, I wanted to build my own bike and I wanted to run it myself. And and, so, uh, and why, why Pikes Peak? You know, I don't know. It's just always been, you know, my mom and dad are from Colorado originally. And uh, okay. uh it's just always been on my radar. I don't know. It's just, it's, you know, as a kid in Marin County, I grew up, you know, riding on Mount Tamalpais, and there was a, an event that they had every Sunday called, um, uh, shoot, what was it called? Uh, oh, Sunday morning ride. And, and okay. motorcyclists would, would gather at the top of Mount Tamalpais, and it was a race all the way to Fairfax, which is out the coast, past Denson Beach, out towards Point Reyes, around Point Reyes, past Lima, and then back in. And, you know, we're talking wide open, you know, 150 mile an hour sections back in, in the 70s. You know, yeah. and people would show up on TZ 750s and, you know, full-blown Ducati race bikes. And, and the cops just kind of sat back and let it, you know, they, I talked to a ranger later and I said, why, why didn't you guys, you know, ever do anything about it? They said, what would we do? set up a roadblock and then the motorcycles yeah. crashing into us or yeah. said it, they felt like it was safer just to let it happen 
and it was yeah. really early in the morning. It was at sunrise, so you know, less traffic, less traffic for most cars. Yeah, so that's kind of like Pikes Peak. You know, it's uh, yeah. you know, you're in the trees and the woods, and if you go off, you're there's sections with big blocks, and you know, and people did go off. You know, they, it it yeah. happened. No, I used to, uh, I lived in Colorado Springs, I think it was about eight, eight, nine years ago. I was there for about oh. six months. And um, I would go to Pikes Peak every once in a while. But my favorite uh, part about that mountain was uh, the incline. I don't know if you know of it, near the, it's near the old train tracks. It's like yeah. this, uh, hang on, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> How about this? It's a postcard yeah. I've got. <laughs> yeah. The Manitou Incline. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's like this old railroad tracks for, for those watching. It's this railroad tracks that goes up slightly, 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 and then it goes and climbs and climbs and climbs. And I think there's a false summit up here. Yeah. But it's one hell of a workout. Um, and that's just at the base of Pikes Peak. I mean, that's, um, that area is beautiful. Yeah, they have, they have single track now for bicycles coming down. Yeah. And from up at the top or somewhere sure. near the top and it's all bowl turns all the way down the mountain oh. you know jumps and all kinds of stuff so they they have some cool stuff up there, yeah. you know um, uh, we've got another question here that uh, i think you'll appreciate this one um so the person said the gas tank is a really important element of motorcycle design how do you see that evolving with electric bikes you know, I, I just did an electric bike, um, and I can't say for what brand or anything yet, but uh, um, it's kind of interesting because you can do anything you want with the shape of it. You know, sure. and the gas tank is a tool you use to, you know, people don't realize, but if you think about it when you're riding, you'll realize how hard you're squeezing the tank with your knees. Yeah. And I always put the stomp grip on my tanks because, you know, you really, like, there's some tracks where you just... You know, you set yourself up and you just put your knee into that gas tank and you just shove the bike in, you know. And so, you you know, it's something you need that there. Absolutely. You know? So, uh, I think it's always going to be there on a good working motorcycle, you know. I mean, I, I'm sure there are people that are going to remove it and, and because, oh, we don't need it. But it's not going to be as easy to ride, a, you know, a heavy bike. Because those electric bikes are heavy. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, they're like low, low, lower weights. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of weight, and it's it's. Uh, I think that's the real crux of the, the for the manufacturers, how to distribute the weight, where to put the weight, you know, how long the swing arm, where's the pivot point, all that kind of stuff. From what I understand, you know, it's uh, really the, the the trick to getting it to work right. Um, and uh, the the next question here, is, so this is from caffeine and gasoline. He's been asking okay. some great questions here. Um, now that Pikes Peak is closed to bikes, are you going to find another event to race in? You know, uh, yeah, I'm racing right now at Saddleman's. We're building a, a bagger race bike. So Moto America has, has put together this new race series for baggers and uh, Harley baggers. And we're <laughs> one of 13 teams that, uh, that are going. So I'm probably, I'm sure, I'm the only one that's building my bike and, ra and racing it. And uh, we've got it from, it started at 850 pounds. It's now under 500. And uh, wow. all, car all carbon fiber, all race weight. Uh, wow. And I've, we've done some 
some kind of tricky things with with the bike that I can't talk about, but uh, yeah. it's going to be interesting. You know, and I've seen guys, other teams that, I mean, have full-blown, you know, like Harley show bikes that they mm. built. Uh, so we're just kind of going, you know, looking at it as a race bike. We're not, it's not going to be blingy. You know, that's, I, I like that where you've got some people that, um, you know, they kind of go for the looks, the, the Harley bagger. And then we've got guys like you who are like, I came here to race. I came yeah. here to take first place. Um, yeah. Nice looking bike, bro, but uh, see you at the end. <laughs> well, hopefully, you know, you never know. But uh, I know there's a, a guy who runs a uh, stock car team that's building a bike for one of the teams. And they're also... Okay. You know, I can see it's all race weight stuff. So oh, they're cool. going to be light. And, uh, but they're really no. We'll see. I'm just going to go over and have fun. I know Ben Bostrom's racing one of the bikes. Okay. And, uh, there's some, there's some, you know, A-level road racers that are going to be out there riding. So, and I'll be the oldest, and <laughs> the only one that's built. <laughs> um, um, you know, it's, it's so cool. Like, I've got a, um, I've got a 94 FXDL. And um, it's uh, I've always have loved the Harley Dynas, especially the the Southern California style bikes. But one of the most fascinating things that I've found out of the baggers is these guys who can do wheelies on them and they can do all this crazy stuff. I I am beyond fascinated with that skill level. Can you do well, any of that? I've never even ridden a bagger. Uh, yeah. I've never even thrown a leg over one. So I'm going to get my chance here pretty soon. We're going to do some testing. But, yeah, you know, the problem with, yeah, those guys are nuts because there's so much flex in the whole chassis. and It's all rubber mounted. And I was yeah. talking to Aaron Colton, who's like one of the best stunt riders in the world. And he said that when you back those baggers in, the rear wheel starts to steer the other way and kicks you out of the slide. So it's an acquired skill. You know, they, those guys just yeah. do nothing ride only those bikes you know and uh, yeah. i don't know if any of them are racing or how how they do on the racetrack you know with breaking points and things like that but mm. you know we'll just have to see how it goes you know and, uh, i am looking forward to it it's gonna be yeah fun. um i see there's another question on here um uh what is your suggestion on the best uh, best buy for a race bike best buy uh, Thinking and the person's thinking maybe a Ducati 916. Yeah, so the best buy for a race bike. So a 916 would be like a vintage bike, yeah, uh, like vintage class or something. I don't know if he. Yeah, he see, a yeah Craig. Um, so it was Craig Smith. Um, maybe oh. yeah, that would be sort of like an older bike. Is that Craig Rod Smith? Um, says the Craig Smith. Oh, okay. Huh. Maybe it is. Maybe I know him. Uh, yeah, nine sixteen. You know, the pretty expensive race because they uh, it's old and they they take they need a lot of service. I raced. I had an RS nine sixteen, and it the service schedule was five hundred miles to total rebuild. And uh, at a thousand miles, you replace the rods and the crank and cases. And wow. So yeah, that was. I would I would stick with something probably Japanese. Depending on the money and the, if they right. went vintage or whatever, you know, there's so many options. But the uh, right. I'm building a Parabon XADR now, uh, which is going to be my next race bike. Okay. It'll be fun. Super lightweight. 
same same engine I had in the Pikes Peak bike. And, uh, and do you feel like um, that there there's become more racing available in the states? Like like I see, for example, that uh, flat track racing has been picked up by NBC. Um, and it just seems, especially in California, it seems that like at least from our side, we're seeing more races and more events like that. Is it becoming more available for people to enter races? Yeah, I think flat track is is uh, having a new resurgence, you know, and I think honestly, I think it all kind of started with Mark Marquez, you know, mm. uh, racing flat track and Valentino Rossi training flat track. And I think people kind of realize like, oh, wow, this is how, you know, the top road racers train. And, uh, and it's just, it's coming back, which is great. You know, yeah. Roland Sands has got that whole, you know, hooligan series. Uh, yeah. It's really kicked off. That's a series where you can just take your your standard, you know, Harley or Triumph or whatever, and put six nineteens on it and, and go dirt tracking. You know, it's so cool. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. We have a um, uh, there's a a flat track race here once a year. I think it started about three, probably about four or five years ago. Four or five years ago, called Stovskop, um, and I think it means. It's, it's Afrikaans, but um, it's something about riding in the dirt. Um, and the first year I went, I took my Harley. Now, my Harley's got ape hangers, Ford controls, and a big sissy bar. But I put my big American flag on the back of it and raced around that track. And it was the most fun I've ever that's had cool. on the bike. Yeah, that's called run run what you brung here. That's, that's what you, you go out, anything, anything or anything, you know? Yeah. And, all about having fun you know yeah. and that's kind of that's kind of what you know Roland and those guys are doing a lot of that yeah. you know things sort of spawn from that sort of run with you run thing yeah like people people just want to go around the track they don't really want to be racers but you know a couple of times a year they want to see how well they can do on their bike right yeah yeah that's good so you don't have a flat track series there in South Africa not not really um you know the stop scope is once a year there's um i think there's more of like the rate what's the ones with like the sidecar that okay. they've got that guy off to the side um but it's not really it's 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 not big it's not um it's it definitely there's potential for it um we get a lot of guys that you know after stop after stop scope there they're like i want to i want to race again so there's been a lot of conversations. We've had people approach us and ask, like, what about doing some flat track? Um, you know, for me, I don't really have a bike for it. You know, my Harley is also my daily right. commuter. And right. um, it's not really a bike that I want to break on a, on a track and right. then right. have to fix it. Um, right. But I think there's a demand for it here. I mean, we're seeing what's going on in the States. And people, people want to do it. Um, yeah, we'll see if, if it picks up. Yeah, yeah, fun. So, so the next thing is that, um, so um, for those who, who don't know, uh, Woolies no longer at Woolies Workshop. You've taken up a new position. So tell us uh, a little bit about your new position and where you are today. Yeah, well, Woolies Workshop is, is me, basically. So it is now located at Saddleman's. And uh, <laughs> Saddleman's is... Um, the premier uh, seat company in the world, really. They make OEM seats, they make custom 
seats for every Harley ever made, all the sport bikes, uh, dirt bikes. And it's a company you can, I, I'm not really the best one to talk about all of the seat stuff. That'd be, that'd be, hey, you want to, uh, you want to, Buster? I'm going to introduce you to Buster here. Buster okay, cool. Talk about the seats and stuff like that. Howdy. What's up, Buster? Give you a, give you a tour. <laughs> not too much hanging How with Wooly, you? you know? Yeah. So, so <laughs> thanks, Buster, thanks for so, helping them out. Of course. Tell them about Saddleman and what, what you guys do. Sure. So, um, we have been building seats, designing seats, and luggage solutions for over 30 years. And um, we kind of have a little bit of everything for everybody. We have metric bikes. Obviously, we have the Harley stuff covered. Um, we do Ducati stuff, Yamaha, Honda, KTM. Uh, we have some exciting stuff uh, that we're going to be doing that's new for us. Um, it's a really great time for the motorcycle industry and people who ride motorcycles. And we have a lot of fun here doing what we do at Saddleman. Cool. And tell us, uh, so tell us the difference between a foam seat and like a gel seat. Sure. So most of the OEM seats, and it doesn't really matter um, what the make is, they're made of a really soft, like almost like a furniture-like foam that, okay. you know, kind of you sit on it and it feels pretty comfortable for about 15, 20 minutes. And then after yep. a while, it starts to scrunch down. So we um, have pioneered the use of what we call a pro foam, which is a higher density foam that doesn't collapse or compress when you ride on it. It's a bit counterintuitive because people think, oh, soft is comfortable. But anybody right. who's put on some serious miles knows soft is sure. not comfortable. So yeah. we've got a firmer foam to start with. And then we have our gel core technology, which dampens and diverts uh, you know, the road impacts and, and also disperses uh, your weight across the span of the gel. Okay. Owned a ton of. Uh-oh. Can, uh, can you still hear me over there? I can hear you, yeah. I think... Oh. Yeah, I think we're, we're losing a bit of signal. Yeah, could be. I'm not, I'm not sure what you got out of that. There we go. I think I lost you about 45 seconds ago. <laughs> okay, uh, so I was just mentioning that the way we design our seats is completely different and our materials are completely different. We use a higher density foam that doesn't collapse or compress. It's what we call a pro foam. Um, it, I haven't yeah. ever ridden another motorcycle seat that uses anything similar, as well right. as our gel core technology, which dampens and diverts the road impacts. So it really kind of improves your suspension, you know. If you're going to change the suspension on your motorcycle, it's very expensive, especially if you're going to put real yeah. suspension on your motorcycle. You, you can change your seat and actually get rid of a lot of that negative feedback. And it's, yeah. it's one of those things that you just don't know how good it can be until you have it and put some miles on it. And fortunately for us, we've got a program called the Seat Center Program where a lot of shops across the United States have seats that you can try before you buy, which is kind of a you know, the proof oh, cool. of the pudding. So we, we want to make sure that everybody gets exactly what they want the first time. Yeah. I know like on my Harley, when I first purchased it, um, um, so I've got a, a 94 Dyna. And huh? when I first had it, it was, it, it was okay. Um, huh? But I had like a local manufacturer, a local guy who makes stuff. And I, that was one thing that I did. I, I don't know if I put gel or whatever it was, but 
it was something firmer and it's and it made such a big difference um it, it just does. to have a better seat oh yeah and and sometimes that's tough to explain to somebody who really hasn't had the benefit of riding on it and, sure. and as i mentioned that's why we've got those seat centers out there because you know remember back in the day when you'd buy you'd buy a part and maybe it worked and maybe it didn't work and you know you'd have a pile of stuff in your garage that you know you're going to sell one day that didn't end up working out for your bike so this gives you the advantage of put it on your bike go ride the way you ride figure out if yep. it's right for you so um, it took a lot to get that done but we all we're all riders here the owners are riders here too so sure. our emphasis is on taking care of the people who are just like us we want to treat them how we'd like to be treated and fortunately, Absolutely. you know, here at Saddleman, we, we can do that. That's awesome. That's awesome. For yeah, sure. that's, uh, that's so cool. It's, uh, and I want to see this bagger. I, I've never seen a uh, bag, right? Can, can we see it or no? No. 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 <laughs> we can't show it right now. because. So are you racing it? Am I racing it? Yeah. Who, who's going to race it? I am. Yeah, I'm racing it. Okay. I'm, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, I'm riding it. So it's... Uh, it's pretty top secret. Yeah, so here, my new position here is basically um, I am head of uh, industrial design. So we're going to be building a few bikes a year, and then I'm also helping with, you know, flow of materials and just other weird stuff, you know, just all kinds of stuff I'm going to be doing, which is really, it's fun. It's crazy. It's, this this factory just goes on and on, and they just pump the seats out, and they're just so popular. So. And it's, um, we're just a bunch of motorcycle guys. So unlike with Deus, which was a clothing brand, you know, doing lifestyle branding, um, yeah. I dealt with a lot of designers, uh, clothes people. So it's pretty refreshing for me to, you know. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, we, we spoke about that. And what was the other guy's name again? Please remind me. Buster. 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 Um, and, you know, when, when we spoke on the phone the other day, that was the one thing that you mentioned was that, you know, you had your own shop there. It was great. Um, but now, like, you're excited to be a part of a team working together. Um, yeah. And that seems like I mean, I, I can better. explain it like this. I I live two blocks from my, from Deus. I walk oh, wow. with my dogs, with my Australian Shepherds. I mean, you know, and this is a city with traffic. I now commute uh, 22 miles to, to Saddlemans, and okay. I am happier than I've ever been. It's just, it's, you yeah. know, I'm around people that think like I think, and, you know, there's yeah. noise, there's stuff going on, and there's, you know, and so it's just, it's exciting. And, uh, yeah, it seems that, like, the, that, uh, that racing's been in your blood, and to be on a team where other people have racing in their blood, it's much better for you um, in the long run, it seems that way. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and they're just really good people. So it's uh, it's great. I'm super happy. And uh, and I'm, you know, I'm getting old. I'm not going to be doing it forever. So I'd be nice to, right. and I'm setting up a shop from scratch. So we're, you know, it's a clean slate. And we're in the process of really building out this area. And it's, you know, it's creative and it's, it's fun. And, uh, We've already got a bike that we're working on, you know, the bagger race bike, and uh, hopefully something else really soon. We're talking to a couple of OEM brands about doing okay. you know, something new. So um, I'll let you know as soon as we do. And, and uh, I'm sure uh, these guys can make a seat for your bike, you know. And you guys can go awesome. online. And you, can, you can you can 
customize it with different materials and threads and send a PDF and they can stitch whatever logo or whatever you want oh, that's on amazing. there. It's, it's pretty yeah, cool. We, we had a couple we had a couple guys asking here on the feed. Um, so that'll be that'll be nice. So for guys interested in this, you can go to Settlements website. Um, and then I'll see here, Willie, another question here. Uh, what's your everyday street bike? Uh, I don't ride on the street, really, uh, very much. My dad, when I was a little kid, made me a deal. He said, you don't ride on the street, and you can go racing. And, you know, during my high school years, I lost three friends. I went into the trees, up Mount Tamapai, stuff like that. So I just kind of, uh, I don't really have a street bike. I've got a Husqvarna FX all set up, supermoto bike. I've got a you know, Parabon X60. Uh, I've got a... Suter V4, uh, badass, 200 horsepower, two-stroke race bike. Joe. So Joe. that's that's what I ride. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, Willie, man, it was. Um, I, I really appreciate the time, Buster. It was nice to meet you. Um, I look likewise, forward to. Likewise. Yeah, nice to chat, dude. Um, I look forward to seeing the bagger at some point. Um, hearing about your races. Um, and to everyone else on the show, like, thank you so much for joining on the 25th episode of the Bonafide Moto Show. Next week, we have uh, Matthias Correa. He was a previous co-founder of Behance, and he also the author of the book Two Wheels South, where him and his buddy did a motorcycle trip from uh, Brooklyn, New York, down to the south of Patagonia. So he's going to talk about his trip uh, next week, Wednesday. So... That's all I have for tonight. Woody, thanks so Thank much. You.